0: Pastor Roe hit me up during the week, and I was like, so I was supposed to do something this afternoon, and he hit me up 30 minutes after that got canceled. So they have my phone bugged, for sure. So it went literally 30 minutes after, I see Pastor Rowe come up on my phone, bro, this is what's going on. I want you to come in and be a surprise. So much so that Pastor Lisa didn't even know that I was coming. Nobody knew I was coming. Um, so we pulled it off. We pulled it off. Pastor Rose. Great. So I am excited, excited to be here. Um, this is like a home away from home. Um, I, you know, sometimes I do like an introduction, but you guys already know me. And if you don't, it doesn't really matter. It's okay. My name's Mike. We'll just do that. Um, but I really, I really, want, I'm, am, I'm excited to continue this series. I listened to Pastor Rose's message from a couple weeks ago, then I listened to, to Pastor Ruben's message on, on greatness. And greatness is such an amazing topic, right? Because we all have greatness inside of us, but we don't all know how to utilize it. So it's such a great and important thing to talk about because our greatness is needed for what the Lord wants to do with us. Um, and I've titled my message the enemy of greatness, because there is one thing, well, maybe there's a couple things, but I'm going to focus on one thing that really tries to get in the way of you being great, that really tries to get in the way of you utilizing the greatness that's been put inside of you. Um, So I just want to jump to Genesis 3 real quick. Just read this. Well, just listen to me read it. Now the servant was more cunning than any beast of the field. Let me give you some pretext real fast. So here we are in Genesis, beginning of time. God created Adam and Eve to rule and have dominion over this garden. They have been told you can pretty much do whatever you want. This is all yours. Everything that I've created is yours, as far as the eye could see, right? Except this one tree. If you could just leave this tree alone, don't eat its fruit, don't touch it, just, just leave it be. That's the only rule that they were given. If, you, if any of you have kids, the second you make a rule not to do something, that is the only thing that child wants to do. Adam and Eve were no different. Okay, so let's, let's come here. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, or pretty much you'll die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Next. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant for the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. It was all her fault. Many churches have had these debates over whose fault it was. It's all Eve's fault. It says it right there. Because let's be honest, if, all right, hold on. Sorry, I got to do it. I got to do it now. Let's be honest, men. Okay, we're gonna talk about it real quick. We're gonna vent for a second. Let's be honest here. If my wife put food in front of me and I said no, I'm not hungry. Woo. Well, my cooking's not good enough for you. Is there something? Is something wrong with my cooking? Right. So there, Adam had no way out. Okay, it was a catch-22. He was in he was in trouble. So she said, go ahead and put it back up. We're going to continue. Sorry for the sidebar there. But he had no other option, the poor guy. So she also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam, where are you? And Adam's response, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So let's just pray real quick. God, I thank you for what you are doing today. I thank you for what you have already done in this room, God. The moment I walked in this room and I felt your glory, I felt your presence here, God. So I thank you for being here. I thank you for making your presence real to us today, God. God, I just pray that every word spoken, every note played later on, God, nothing is done without the express authority given by you, God, without the approval, the seal of approval of you, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So, if you guys, so if this is your first time here, you might not know me. I'm a big foodie, right? Like, I really, really like food. Really like food. I enjoy it so, so much. So, like, going out to eat is one of my favorite things to do. Like, by far. I would much rather eat out than cook from home. I'd spend all my money eating out because these restaurants are great. But one of the places I have a really, really hard time eating is a diner really have issues with diners. I love diners, but I don't love them at the same time. So I had to make myself a creature of habit where if I go to a diner or pretty much, let's be honest, pretty much anywhere, I eat two things. I eat a buffalo chicken wrap, no lettuce because the lettuce gets in the way of the amount of chicken. They put less chicken because they filled up the wrap with lettuce. Your boy ain't here for lettuce. Your boy's here for the chicken, okay? (laughs) That's right. So no lettuce, extra blue cheese, in case anybody wants to bless me with a buffalo chicken wrap later, I'm just saying. Or a chicken quesadilla. Love me some quesadillas. And then on the side, I will have disco fries with mozzarella cheese. None of that yellow American cheese crap. Mozzarella cheese is what goes on disco fries. I play no games when it comes to that. And the only reason, the only reason why, I don't even look at the menu I don't even bother because I know I will get instant anxiety looking at that menu. Diners have an endless array of food. You can get absolute, are you craving Indian food? Go to a diner. Are you craving Italian food? Go to a diner. Are you craving sushi? Go to the diner. Are you craving Mexican food? Go to the diner. Are you craving, craving breakfast? Diner. Lunch? Diner. Dinner? Diner. Midnight snack? Diner. Cheesecake? Diner exactly you all know you find whatever you want at the diner I have a problem with that because I don't know what I want ever so if I just come with a preconceived notion I'm going to get this buffalo chicken wrap I'm not even going to expose myself to all the chaos that's going on in this menu I'd never eat if I looked at the menu I'd be there for an hour and then I'm already hungry right you get hangry and then all of a sudden I'm just not even going to eat and man, let me tell you, it's not good for anybody if I'm not eating, okay? So I resort to, hey, I'm just going to stick to my, my status quo. And what I've learned through diners, through the frustrations that diners have brought me throughout the years, what I have learned is human beings need boundaries. I need limitations. You cannot just give me an endless array of menu. You have to give me a boundary. If you hand me the menu and say you can only have a burger, I'll be okay. Because then I can look among the burgers. I don't have to gaze anywhere else. I don't have to look just at the burgers. Right? I have a boundary. If I don't have boundaries, I have a problem. If you think about, does anybody watch um, Yellowstone? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> think if you haven't watched it, you have to watch it. It's the greatest show ever, ever, ever ever. Yellowstone, it's on Paramount. It is fantastic. Makes me want to go buy property in Montana, start a ranch, be a whole cowboy. Like, you ever realize, like, whenever you're watching a show, all you want to be is that show? Like, I watch Power, and I want to be a drug kingpin in New York. (laughs) Right? Like, Tommy Egan was my idol watching Power. Now I'm watching, I'm, I'm going the polar opposite, a drug dealer in the cities or a rancher in Montana. So either way, I want to do one of them, whichever one I'm watching, that's what I want to do. I want to be great at that. That's, I want my greatness to be on a ranch in Montana. But one thing that I see is like, they, they have such a wide open space There And they have all their cattle and everything like that, but when they're bringing the cattle in, they're all doing it on horses, and what they're doing is they're creating a boundary for the cattle, for their own good. They're creating a boundary. Hey, don't, if you start going a little bit to the left, a horse is right there to guide you kind of right back. They don't have, like, leashes on them or nothing like that. It's just creating the boundary to keep them there, and what I realize is we need that same boundary, and sometimes... We don't like it. Too bad. We need the boundary. And here we are in this moment with Adam and Eve. They had a boundary, and they weren't about it. Adam and Eve had tunnel vision. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created with one thing on their mind, God. That's it. That was the entire purpose of creation was for God to commune with man. Anybody get that? Yeah, okay, cool. Listen, if y'all are going to go to sleep now, let me know. We're going to be here. All right? I see you all, kind of. So none of this. So Adam and Eve were created for that purpose, to commune with God. So all that they knew was God. The only voice that they had ever heard before was God's. The only thing that they had ever seen before was God's. They were the only other people Like God was what they saw. God, his desires were their desires. Like that is all that they were exposed to. And then I look and I see the enemy, the serpent here, if you could put the the verse back up, verse four, His, his response is you're not gonna die, your eyes will just be opened. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And all that's telling me is the blinders will be taken off. Everything that's been keeping my attention and my focus on God is going to be removed. Your eyes will be open. But what he doesn't specify is your eyes will be open to distraction. Your eyes will be open to shame. Your eyes will be open to hurt. It'll be open to pain. Yes, it might be open to other things, but those things may not be beneficial. So yes, your eyes will be open, but the enemy decides to leave out the part that actually affects them. He tempts them. Tempts them pretty much by saying, Hey, what you've been looking at this whole time is not sufficient enough. They're making eye contact with God. All they're doing is gazing at the Lord. All they do is see God. All they do is talk to God, walk with God in the garden. Yet somehow the enemy, the serpent, decides to tell them in just one word, Hey, your eyes will be open. That just means what you're looking at is not enough. How many of you have been convinced that what you're looking at in God is not enough? Including myself including myself, how many times throughout my life I've got my eyes set on God, yet I want to look at something else, yet I allow distraction to step in and change my eyes, change my viewpoint, no, 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 we need to keep our eyes on God, because in order to be great, you have to be able to make it through wilderness seasons, there is not a single great person in life who has made it there without going through a wilderness season, Without going through trials, without going through tribulations, without going through loss, defeat, not a single person has been made great by everything going well for them. Their greatness came in their ability to overcome. And what happens is keeping your eyes on Jesus allows you to make it through the wilderness rather than getting lost in it. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you have your eyes on the end goal, and it doesn't matter what's around you. It doesn't matter all the chaos that's going on. My eyes are here. I know I can make it through it. The second we look to the left or to the right, we might get lost. If you've ever been hiking, they have markers and stuff along the path. If you start to stray off the path, you might not be able to make it back. Woods are, like, really confusing. Like... (laughs) Trees don't have road names on them. It doesn't say center street tree or like first Alaska street tree. That's not the way trees work. Trees are just there. They all look the same. So if you start to veer off the path, you might not be able to make it back on. If you, you might get lost in the wilderness all because you took your eyes off of what was designed to keep you on path. And it's, it's not hard. All you have to do is look at God, right? All you have to do is keep your eyes on the Lord. See, what does that mean? right? Have, has anybody ever told you to look at Jesus and you've been so confused? Me? Hello. I'm up here. You tell me to look at Jesus. I'm like, what? where? Like wh- I've No, I can't. He's not here, right? I think about like Peter when he's walking on water. He couldn't even keep his eyes on Jesus and Jesus was standing three feet in front of him. Us, we don't have the luxury of having Jesus three feet in front of us that we could see. Yet we still have to keep our eyes on Jesus. How do we do this? And it's crazy. It's crazy for me because I get here and two people have already preached my message. And nobody has any idea. Yeah, that's right. You might be hear something that you've heard before from Reuben and May. But that's fine. They were doing the devotion. I'm like, really? Really? Who else has my phone bugged over here, right? You guys... But I got, I, I, I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, one of, one of the, the things that I get when I'm leading worship, that's one thing that I try and instruct people to do all the time. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And I never really understood. I never really remembered the fact that at one point in time, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what look at Jesus meant. Like, let's, let's, let's be honest. Let's be real. Some of us don't know what that means. And that's okay. They're like, that's okay. It's, it's, It's very hard to put into words what that means. And I'm going to do my best. But like looking at Jesus is not just such a black and white thing. It's not just a written out on paper, step one, step two, step three. You can't physically see Jesus. So what what exactly do you look at? When I'm telling you that, I'm not telling you to look at like a picture on Google. Zab, we we have that picture. Can you put that up? That's not what I'm telling you to make up in your head. Now, complete transparency. Transparency. I've been in a worship set. Somebody say, look at Jesus. And I have done that. I have imagined that right there. Just complete. You imagine the, the Jesus that's on the crucifix on your, on your uh, necklace, the Jesus that's in a picture somewhere like that's a good starting place. That's fine. But there's so much more than that. How about if you can't physically see what Jesus looks like? Why don't you see what Jesus look like, looks like in your life or has looked like in your life? By starting to look at things that he's done in your life, like one of the greatest movies of all time, Will Fight, if you don't agree, The Santa Claus with Tim Allen has this quote, Will Fight, has this quote, he's in the North Pole. I'm going to ruin this little bit for you. You'll be okay. He's in the North Pole. It's called The Santa Claus. You can get where I'm going here. He's in the North Pole and he's like, I see it, but I don't believe it. And the girl that he's talking to, the elf that he's talking to, she goes, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Which means you don't believe something because it's standing in front of you. You believe something first and then it becomes evident to you. So if, if, if you hear from up here or from anywhere, if somebody tells you to look at Jesus, why don't you just start believing he's in the room? Just start believing he's standing in front of you. Just start believing that he's present there. And I promise you, evidence is going to start to reveal itself to you little by little. Just start believing God is right here. I know he is here. I know his presence is here. And all of a sudden, the air conditioning kicks on. You get the chills. Whoa, right? All of a sudden, I start believing for a Cadillac. Cadillacs are all I see, right? It's all you have to do is believe and it starts, he starts to reveal himself to you. He starts to reveal all the areas and all the places that he's come into your life. You know, sometimes, there have been a few times where I'm like, you know, look at Jesus. Okay, I got nothing. I'm, Jesus. I got nothing. I don't even have the Google image in my head right now. Like, what, what do you do then, right? What do you do... If you can't see Jesus, what, what do you do? If you're like, oh, man, he's saying, "Look at Jesus." Like he say, "I'm I'm in the wilderness, right? I'm going through this trial, and I know I need to make it through the trial. I'm going through this, but I, I can't see I can't see Jesus in it. I can't see Jesus anywhere. Come with me to uh, to John sixteen real quick. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Plain and simple answer. I'll simplify that. Just ask Holy Spirit. If you don't see something, ask Holy Spirit to show you. It says... He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me, whatever he receives from me. There have been times in my life where God has shown up and I didn't even really realize that it was God, right? Like times that I've gotten through things and I didn't even realize at the time that it was God. Yet sitting in worship, asking Holy Spirit, show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me, God. Like... I start to see these areas that God was like, yeah, I've been here the whole time. Like I've been working on, I've been working on everything. I, I'll, I'll let you guys into uh, just like little, little stories when I was younger. Um, me and my best friend, we've been best friends for like 21 years now. We had done a lot of messed up stuff. The fact that I'm still standing here is a question. We use a, here's, here's just one example. We used to go into my room. I, at the time, I was probably like, a, like 15, 16. I had an attic room, and it had two levels to it. So I had like couches, futon. You know, I, it was decked out, let me tell you. I wish that my apartment now looked like the room that I had when I was like 15. So, but I, the house previously, I had bunk beds. Being that I was in the attic, the ceiling was too short, so I had to split the bunk beds up. So I had like four or five different places to sleep. I used to have like friends over. And they'd spend the night. And let me tell you from a parent's perspective, I've had my niece, just one, spend the night. Ain't about it. I don't know how. My mom did like four or five extra kids. There's a special grace that I'll never receive. I'll never even ask for it, to be quite honest <laughs> with you. I don't even want it. But there's a special grace that comes with that. So what we used to do at like midnight, one o'clock in the morning, everybody's knocked out of my house. We would grab whatever we could find in my room. We'd pop the batteries out of the remote, some dominoes, erasers, pencils, little toy like RC cars, like the Hot Wheels and all that. We'd grab all that. Then we'd grab the remote that didn't have batteries left and like little pieces of trophies and stuff like that. Get ready. I would shut my light off and we would just start pelting each other with them. All of you gasp. I thought it was great. As long as no windows and my TV didn't break, we were fine. We were getting like destroyed though by these things. Yeah, I'm in worship, right? And I'm like worshiping the Lord. I'm like, man, Holy Spirit, like show me, show me, show me, show me, right? And Holy Spirit brings me to that. And I'm like, what? that's not really like revelatory, you know what I mean? Like we're, Sometimes we, we get in these like moments with God where we're just expecting to like start shaking and like, ah. No, that wasn't what happened. I, I, sometimes you just get these revelations, right? And God's like, yeah, you like probably should have ended up in the hospital at some point. My hand was on that, though. Yeah. So you were able to still have fun, do what you did, and everybody was okay. We might have got like a bruise here or there. But for some strange reason, God's hand was on me to where nothing hit my temple. I didn't lose a tooth. I didn't lose an eye. None of my friends lost anything. We just got bruised up a little bit, right? But those are the little things that we forget that God did for us. Those are the little things that we didn't really see God in. And to be quite honest, I didn't see God in up until like a little while ago, you know? Like, I, I, I didn't see God's hand on that. That didn't make sense to me. It just so happened. By happenstance, I didn't get hurt. It was a coincidence. How many coincidences has God gotten you through? How many coincidences have actually been the hand of God on you? Right? I can't, another time I was riding my bike down my hill. I go to go just cut completely across the street and I stop in the middle of the street an inch and a half away from a car who's coming up the street who also stopped. Another moment in my life, that coincidence. As a kid, I'm like, I was like 12. A coincidence for me. Oh, thank God he stopped. Yeah, actually, yes, thank God he stopped. His hand was on it, right? Another moment where his hand was on it, where I could have died. I could have broken my leg. I could have fallen over like I... Something detrimental really could have happened there because I was flying and the car is flying too. Yet for some strange reason, when I wasn't asking for it, his hand was still on it. When I wasn't asking for him to do something, he was doing something anyway. When I wasn't saying, God, make sure you protect me. I wasn't doing that at 11, 12 years old. I was going out being an idiot. I wasn't asking for protection, but God's hand was still on it. And these are the kinds of things when we're when you're in worship, when you're in these moments and you're like, man, I'm in this I'm in this crazy trial season, this this ridiculous season. God, I need to look to you. I can't really see you. It's okay. You may not be able to see him, but you can see what he's done. I promise you, you'll see what he's done. I. I I had thought about another. So there are times where it doesn't seem like God comes through, right? Like, there's times that we're asking for God. So in these moments, I'm not even asking for God to do anything, and his hand is on me. And then there's also moments where I'm asking for God to have his hand on me, and it seems like he took his hand off, right? Is that just me? Am I the only one? Fine, I'll be the only one. There are these moments, and I'm, and I'm like, fighting with God about it. And God's like, no, I'm, st- I'm still on those two. So then I'm thinking, like, how often things could have been worse, Right? Like, I ended up, another bike ride, I ended up falling, dislocating my shoulder. And I'm like, well, God, where were you there? Well, if you would have kept riding, four blocks later, a car was running through a stop sign. So if you would have kept riding, you probably would have been hit by that car. But instead, you fell here and you dislocated your shoulder. So my hand was still on that. Right? So when you start asking Holy Spirit for things, This is what I've learned. When you start asking for Holy Spirit for things, he starts to reveal things that you may not have seen. Like, be open to that. You're not just like imagining things. Like, the Holy Spirit is actually revealing situations, revealing what's going on behind the other door. Like, revealing things that are going on that you may not physically have seen, but you have been a part of. You know, I thought of, um, while I was coming here, I was praying and I, I got this revelation kind of about um, someone driving. They got into an accident, totaled their car. They ended up getting hit in the back, um, like the, the back, yeah, back left, like uh, uh, what's the, the back seat, back seat, it's messing me up, the back left seat, whatever. They got hit by that back left door, all right, so somebody ended up coming and hitting them in the back left door and... I believe this for somebody here, Um, and nobody has to like raise hands or nothing like that, but just think about it. Back left door, and it's one of those situations where you're like, man, God wasn't there for that. Like, I got really hurt. Yet, if you would have been going maybe a quarter of a mile an hour slower, that car would have hit right on the driver's side. And that would have been that. Like, I can't think of, I I, I can't imagine how many other times throughout my life, throughout your life, our lives should have been cut short, and they weren't. Some of us should have never made it out of our towns. Some of us should have never made it out of our friend circle. Some of us should have never made it out of our house. Yet somehow the Lord's hand was still on it. Somehow the Lord's hand was still protecting you. And these are the things that Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you. Not everybody is going to have the same experiences. Not everybody is going to have the same revelation. When you see Reuben up here, And he's he's trying to transition and he's getting so excited about just the name Jesus, just that name. You start to see this excitement. He's starting to tear up while he's talking about it. For some of us, that looks a bit ridiculous. I'm not going to lie from an outside perspective. But none of you know what the Holy Spirit has revealed to Reuben that God has kept him out of. None of you know the situations he found himself in when he was in his secret place with the Lord and God was like, I took you out of this. I saved you from this. I provi- I, I saved your testimony here. I saved your character here. I, I progressed with your life. I, your life could have been on a whole different trajectory, but I saved it and I put it right here according to my plan. That's the stuff. When he's up here weeping and crying, that's the stuff that's coming to his mind. When he's looking at Jesus, that is what he sees. So it might look ridiculous ridiculous to you it might look a little crazy to you but that's only because you haven't allowed God to show you yet I promise you when you allow Holy Spirit to show you all the areas that God has provided in your life all the areas that God has come through and saved you in your life you will be looking crazier than me I I, I don't look like too too crazy but those times when you see like Lisa going back and forth you ever see like when Lisa getting her those times or like she got like this look on She's not mad. She's feeling the Lord right there. You know why? What she's doing is she's, she's relying on the testimony that Holy Spirit's revealed to her in her worship. All that she's been through. All that she got saved from. When Roe is screaming up here, that's okay. When, when Pastor Roe comes up singing this is a creed concert or something like that, I can promise you. He's not doing it because he wants attention. Nobody is doing it because they want you to look at them and see how spiritual you are. Sometimes it's just a pure response to what has been revealed to you. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask, Holy Spirit, show me. I promise you, you will have such a new appreciation for God. Such a new appreciation for what the Lord has called you to. Because for some reason, whatever the Lord has called you to has made it where he goes out of his way to save you every time. So imagine what that calling is. Imagine. Imagine the greatness that's sitting inside of you. That the, There are some people that, that are not here, but you are. You are. God decided you are. He said, my hand is on you. Imagine the greatness that's sitting inside of you. But we will never be able to tap into the fullness of the greatness that's inside of us without looking at the Lord, without putting our eyes on Jesus. It's hot. Sorry. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. I can't tell you, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. My biggest pet peeve in worship, when I'm leading worship, is making eye contact with somebody. You're all laughing, but that's because I've made eye contact with you before. So you're all like guiltily like, oh, he's talking about me. No, probably I, I can't really see very well up here. But uh, if, if you don't learn anything from today, I want you to learn this. Worship is not for you to watch me. Worship is not for you to watch Emily and Mei Ling and Yvette and whoever else is here. That is not what, we, what we're here for. We are not the object of worship by any stretch of the imagination. He is the object of worship. So everything that we are doing, thank you, everything that we are doing, everything that we are singing, every note that is being played, every drumbeat that's coming on, it's all to glorify the Lord. It is not a distraction. It is not a show. All we're doing is edifying the Lord. Because like I said, when we're sitting in our secret place, all we can rely on and all we can focus on is how much he's brought us through. And all we want to do is lead you to ask him to show you how much he's put you through, how much he has saved you from. So just remember, man, we are not, sometimes we'll, we'll the Bible talks about gazing at the Lord all over the place. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll get caught up watching instead of gazing, We'll get caught up watching other people communicate with God instead of actually having our own conversation. We'll get caught up watching somebody else be grateful and joyful over their miracle rather than focusing on ours, focusing on God. I, I'm telling you, I, if I ever had let you believe that this was a show about me when I was up here, I apologize, and I did not do my job right because this is so far beyond who I am. It is so far beyond Pastor Roe, Pastor Lisa, like the heart of everybody in this house and the leaders in this house. So not about them. They all point every chance that they get to Jesus. And that's because that's the only thing we really need to be looking at. It is the only thing to look, look at. Nobody like... Some people like, like get really distracted when not their favorite worship song comes on or like we don't sound as good as we normally do or I hit a wrong note on the keys or something. Like we've, we allow that to distract us because we get caught in the watching. I, I myself have done that. We get caught in the watching. If worship doesn't sound a certain way, I can't get into it. When in, in reality, like, There's only really one song going on in heaven at all times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That is the only song that will ever be sung for all of eternity in heaven. So I'm here to break the news that when we go to heaven, that is the only song that will be going on. And if you don't like it, we have options. You could leave. I wouldn't suggest it, but free will. You could close your ears, but nobody, there's not an angel in heaven that cares if you don't like the key that we're in, that like doesn't like, you don't like the melody. I'm sorry. Everybody is so focused on the Lord. What you're doing does not matter, okay? Just focus on, that is where I want my attention on the Lord to be. It doesn't matter what any of you are doing. I just want to be so fixed on God, like the world could explode and I would have no idea. Right? Like, I am so fixated on the Lord. That is where we need to be, because in these wilderness, wilderness times, we'll get stuck in there. We'll get lost in there if we're not looking. Whew. My goodness. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. I also wanted to encourage you, too, that if you, like, if you feel like you've stopped looking at the Lord, you feel like you've stopped gazing... The best part is that it's never too late to start looking again. A lot of us have been caught gazing at the Lord at like 10, 11, 12 years old, and then something happened, and then we stopped. And now I'm like 32, 33, and I haven't looked back since. You know, in reality, when you're in a forest, the farther you get away from the trail, the more lost you are. What's really, really cool with your walk with God is the farther you get away from the trail the farther the Lord brings the trail back to you. So like once you're ready to look, at, look again, he's right there. And he's like, no, no, you didn't really go that far. Like we're good. We, could, we can make this happen, right? It's never, it is never too late to stop looking. And I know this because of this next part. See, go into verse, I think it's six. <clears throat> nope, uh, Genesis, sorry. Genesis 3, 6. There we go. So she ate the fruit. <clears throat> the eyes of both of them go into seven. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I actually looked up, stay on seven real quick, because this, this was like the craziest thing about my whole message that the Lord just smacked me with. So I decided to look up coverings in Hebrew, because that's Genesis is written in Hebrew. I've decided to look up coverings in Hebrew. I never look up definitions, ever. I am not Pastor Almery. I am not like they have this teaching thing about them that I just don't have. I don't have I'm not graced for that either. But I don't look these things up. So when I'm sitting on my couch and I feel this urge to go look up what the Hebrew word actually was for coverings, I know it wasn't me. So I looked it up, and it is, it's called hagor. Go ahead. Which means girdle or a belt. Man, let me tell you. So I start thinking, I'm like, God, you brought me all the way over here to see it's just a belt. Like I went on Blue Letter Bible and everything <laughs> to look up the Hebrew word and you have me looking at a belt. And then I hear, what's the armor of God? When it says to put on the full armor of God, you've got the helmet of salvation, you've got the sword of the spirit, you've got the shoes of peace, you have the belt of truth. And what the Lord gave me here, Adam and Eve tried covering their shame with their own truth. They made themselves truth. They took fig leaves and covered themselves with it. You see, they realized that they were naked. In reality... They weren't naked. Naked wasn't a thing. God, as a matter of fact, when when Adam is hiding and he says, Hey, we were naked, I hid, God's response to him was, Who told you you were naked? Naked was not a thing back then. But what Adam and Eve did was they took this belt and they covered their shame with their own version of the truth. So when God is like, Why are you hiding from me? They're like, Oh, we were naked. He's like, What are you taught? What is naked? How often have you been ashamed or offended or bitter by something and you've just covered it up with the truth, with with your own version of the truth? Every time. How often have we covered things up with our own version of the truth, with bitterness, with offense, all because we think it's true? And to be quite honest, we don't even think that it's true. We're just trying to justify what we did. Like, they're trying to justify, oh, no, like, trying to hide the fact that they, they didn't listen and they ate the fruit. They're like, oh, well, we're naked. Like, why would we not have this on? So what, are you, what are you even talking about? Like, I never, I never told you you were naked. I never said you were naked. Why all of a sudden now? You've been around for a while. It's three chapters. Like, you've been around for a while. Now all of a sudden you, you're naked? Like, what, where did this come from? We're using this, this, we have this like shame and this, this bitterness and this offense. And we just cover it with our own truth. And God's like, no, 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 you're missing out on my truth now. And what happens is we end up lost in the wilderness because we're holding on to some truth. That's not actually truth, right? We end up like locked away. We end up locking ourselves away behind our own truth we end up locking ourselves away from God and God is standing there like, hey, can you like, where are you? I, I needed you for this. Like you're supposed to be tending the garden. Where'd you go? You're hiding behind your own version of truth instead of standing on the word of God, his truth. See, the downfall of man began just from simply taking their eyes off of him. All it took was just one distraction, and their entire life took a left turn. How many of us have felt like we've made one decision, one poor decision in our entire life has made a left turn? Changed the entire trajectory of humanity. There is nobody that feels more guilty about sin than Adam and Eve, because they ruined it for us all. I don't have that burden. They have that burden. Good. But... It changed the entire trajectory of their life. And how many of us have that one decision that we haven't been able to let go of? You see, their decision to take their eyes off of him, then they just covered it with their own truth. Sometimes we make this decision and we we make a mistake. And rather than just owning up to it and moving forward with the Lord and taking his grace, taking his mercy and his love and applying it to where we messed up. We cover it with our own truth that we're not worthy, that we're messed up, and that we'll never be able to be used by God again. And the whole reason our, our lives I'm going to keep saying trajectory. It's a great word. The whole reason that our life's trajectory has gone off is because we just didn't com- confront with God. We just didn't put our eyes back on him. All you have to do is put your eyes back. Once you put your eyes back, once you set your gaze again, it's all back to normal, everything. God is standing outside of where you've locked yourself saying, just, hey, can you let me in? Like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to look at me again. I'm ready to just keep walking, but you just, you have, to, you have to remove that belt. You have to remove that fake truth and let me put on my truth. You have to remove that, that, that shame, that bitterness, that guilt. You have to remove all of that and let me put my truth on there. I'm going to try and close because I still got a lot more, but we're going to close. I I promise. (sighs) I think about how Adam and Eve, Adam goes hiding. He decides to put himself in hiding, right? Like I said, when when we're in the wilderness, right, we all have these wilderness seasons. Our greatness is what's on the other side of that. And for us to be able to tap into our greatness, we have to keep our eyes on him. We have to make it through. But sometimes we allow our guilt and our shame, we put ourselves in our own wilderness that we were never meant to be in in the first place. Like, Eden was a wilderness. Technically, Eden was like a forest. It had trees, it had the animals, it had the plants, it had the fruits, the veggies, all of that stuff. Clearly had snakes, like, it was a wilderness right there. But a wilderness by God's design becomes a garden. A wilderness by our own design becomes a desert. A garden gives life. A garden nourishes. A desert does not. See, there will be wilderness seasons in our life. One of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible is James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. It says, Consider it pure joy when you can, when you face troubles of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So you will face trials. Jesus says it to the disciples, too: you are going to face trials. But there's a difference between facing a wilderness season that God has put in front of you to grow and test your faith and putting yourself in a wilderness season and isolating yourself from God. Sometimes we disconnect ourselves from God. This is you, You've got uh, in verse 9, the Lord calls Adam, where are you? I feel like the Lord is calling some of us, where are you? Where are you? Not in like a shameful way. But where, why have you stopped looking at me? It's almost as if God instantly felt the eye contact break. Because the second it happens, the second they stop gazing, they put their belt on, God, God comes into the picture. Whoa, where, where'd you go? We were just, we were just right here. I don't, I don't see you. You don't see me. Where'd you go? Right? Adam decides... Well, I got afraid, so I hid. He put himself in a wilderness he didn't belong in. He put himself in a wilderness that he was never meant to be in in the first place. And sometimes we end up in these wildernesses and we're like, oh, it's all right, God's going to get me through it. God's going to, you know, he's got me in this wilderness season. Does he, though? Or did you put yourself there? Like, let's be real. I've done it a million times, a million and one times. How many times did I just feel like God had put me in a season of isolation? There are times where God wants you in this season of isolation, where it's just you and him. But then there's times that I want myself in a season of isolation when it's just me and me. Where it's just me and my truth, not me and his truth. See, when you're in the wilderness, when you're in a garden with God, you, it's, it's isolation. You and him, you and his truth. When you're in the desert, when you're by yourself, when you isolate yourself, it's you and your truth. Whose truth are you gonna believe here? Can we get the worship team now? come on up? Whose truth, whose truth are we gonna believe here? Whose truth are we gonna allow to reign supreme? You know what the enemy of greatness is? Shame, shame is the enemy of greatness. Shame is what caused Adam to run into hiding. Shame is what caused Adam to run into hiding. It's what caused him to run away. Shame is what causes us from time to time to stop looking at God. Shame because we made a mistake. Shame because we did something wrong. Shame, shame, shame is what causes us to isolate ourselves and put ourselves in this desert where nothing can grow. Things don't grow in the desert. You can't get water in the desert, like no food, no plant, like a cactus maybe, but that's not really great. Like that's what's in the desert. Meanwhile, a garden, you've got vegetation, you've got trees, plants, everything. And the best part about it is a garden has to be tended by somebody. So, so when you're walking through this wilderness season with God, he's in the garden with you and he's tending the garden with you. His hand is on it. From the moment you step in to the moment you step out, there are some of us that have really isolated ourselves. And God's like, just come into my garden. Come into my garden, stop building homes in the desert. I have a, Pastor Roe just said it before. We are, there are mansions in heaven, mansions in heaven, not shacks. He's built us mansions in heaven, not a tree fort, not a cave. Not a tree house, mansions in heaven, which means that wilderness might be there, but it's not where I'm supposed to stay. It might be something I can go through, but it's not something that I'm supposed to stay in. Our greatness is waiting on the other side of the wilderness. Your greatness is waiting on the other side of your shame. The shame that you're holding to is taking a place in your hand where greatness is supposed to be. And all the Lord is asking you to do Put down your shame and allow him to handle you your greatness. We cannot, we cannot truly, truly be great if we are afraid of the thing that makes us great. When we isolate ourselves, the only reason you're great is because of God and what God is doing in you. I am not great by myself. Mike Sunberry, by himself, not a great guy. God in Mike, Fantastic, the greatest. So if the enemy can separate you from the thing that makes you great, if he can separate you from the very power source of your greatness, what else does he have to do, right? You're stifled at that point. If I can separate you from the very thing that makes you great, I never have to worry about you again. And there's so many times, the, the best part about it is the enemy like, isn't even the one that does it. He just convinces us to do it. He convinces me to unplug. He doesn't unplug. He convinces me that I should unplug. You see, he didn't, he didn't force the fruit into Eve and Adam's mouth. He just convinced them there might be a better place for you to get power. There might be more than what you're just looking at. See, all he did was, was say, he convinced them to do it. And then they took on a lie of their own. They created their own lie, right? If if he can separate you from the very thing that makes you great, if he can have you choose to separate you from the very thing that makes you great. I don't know about you, but I am, if I choose to do something and it's wrong, the pride inside of me, I am like almost afraid to confront that. You know, like if I make a choice and it's the wrong choice, and I am like so adamant about it, And I tell my wife that I I think this is what we should do and I end up wrong, which happens nine out of 10 times. I don't want to face that head on. So we have to take this moment now, we might've made the wrong choice, take it head on and just be like, God, I'm ready to let this go. Like I should have never stopped looking. I don't know what it was that caused me to stop looking, God, but I can promise you, I want to look again. I want to gaze again, I want to see you again. And the more I see you, the more I'll see my greatness in you. The more I'll see the potential of what you can do through me, the more I am looking at you. But I promise you guys, none of this can happen unless you stay looking at him. Do not become watchers, become gazers. Don't just watch what's going on around you. Don't just watch what God is doing in other people. God doesn't want to do things in just one person. He wants to do something in each and every one of us. There's not one person who is great in this room. There's not just one person that's great. I don't wanna, I almost made it seem like nobody's great. There's not only one person who is great in this room. Every single person in this room has greatness in them, but we have allowed the enemy to convince us to separate ourselves from what makes us great. So if you guys could stand, I really wanna pray into shame, to be quite honest with you, because shame is the word that the Lord has really been highlighting to me over this last week. I'm good. Shame is the word that the Lord has really been highlighting to me. And I don't know why, because there are multiple things that could be the enemy of greatness, right? But God just kept saying, shame, shame, shame. And I, I didn't think, you ever watch Game of Thrones when she's walking down the street and everybody's just yelling shame at them? That was what God was yelling at me. And I knew he wasn't telling me that I'm a shame. I knew that God was saying there are too many people that believe I'm yelling that at them. There are too many people that are walking with me that think that I'm just pointing at them saying, shame, 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 shame. And that's not the case. God just wants to be eye to eye with you again. If you become eye to eye with him, there is not a single distraction in the world that will ever get you to stop walking with him. There is not a single distraction that'll ever get you to stop fulfilling your purpose with him. I can promise you, your greatness is far beyond what you could could imagine. All you have to do is keep your eyes on him. Pastor O, if you can hop over there. Can we just thank God for Mike's son, baby? That was...